I'm going to study a passage and a story that's found in the Old Testament this morning. And you know, the Bible says that the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. So in other words, when we look at Old Testament stories, we don't just look at the story and narrate the story and leave it there. We make an application. In other words, that's how we learn, making an application for even today. I want to talk about some of these things as we've entitled our remarks, As a Fool Dies. And I'm talking about a man that by the name of Abner. You know, you don't hear a whole lot about Abner uh, in sermons. I don't hear a lot of sermons about Abner. But Abner was the son of Ner, and he was the commander of King Saul's army. We're going to talk about those things. But as it, at his funeral, it was said of him that he died as a fool. Our passage then is taken in 2 Samuel chapter 3 and beginning in verse 31. And David said to Joab and to all the people who were there with him, Tear your clothes, gird yourselves with sackcloth, and mourn for Abner. And King David followed the coffin. And they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. And the king sang a lament over Abner and said, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, nor were your feet put in fetters. As a man falls before wicked men, so you fell. I want to talk about this man, Abner. But let's back up in time to 2 Samuel chapter 1. I'm not going to look at a passage there right now. But I want to just mention that word had just gotten back to David. That King Saul, Jonathan, and Jonathan's brothers were just killed in battle. And you know, when you look at the feeling of, King's, of King David, I don't know of a man that would do this in, in life today. I don't know anybody like this, like King David. King David understood that his enemy that wanted him dead is now dead, and yet he mourned the passing of him. There were times when he could have fought back. There were times when he could have killed Saul. He had opportunities to do so. But he said, how can I do that? How can I do that to the anointed of God? But when King Saul is now dead, David mourns. In fact, we find this passage found in 2 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 25. This is what David said about the death of Jonathan and King Saul and all of that. He said, how are the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle? Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You've been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. These were things that happened prior to the events that we're going to talk about today. But then we find in chapter 2. That David was anointed king over Judah. And the Bible says that David inquired of the Lord. He said, shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? And the Lord said, yes, the Lord said, go to Hebron. And David took his two wives with him, as well as the men and their families, and settled in the cities of Hebron. And the Bible says that the men of Judah came and anointed David king over Judah. Hold that thought. The men of Judah came and anointed David king over Judah. And then the same men came to David and they said, they talked about the burial of King Saul. Now, do you remember when I just said, I don't know people today, maybe not. That would be very sad when your enemy is killed and taken out of the way. That's one thing. 
But think about it this way too. After King Saul was dead, the people of Judah, the men of Judah said it was the men of Jabesh Gilead and they took the body of King Saul and they buried him. When David was anointed king, the people told David that. And you know what David does? He praises them for taking care of the body of his enemy, King Saul. He sent messengers and he said this, The Lord bless you for showing kindness to Saul. And then David said this, Now be strong and brave. Saul, your master, is now dead. I want to make a little side point here about words like be strong and brave. You know, the Bible is filled with words like that. Like words like be of good courage. Words like have no fear. Very recently, I talked about the difference between being fear-driven and faith-driven. And I said those are two things that are at odds with each other. I think these are words that we oftentimes need to tell each other today too. And that is be strong and be brave. In other words, in the time of unrest, you need to be strong and you need to be brave. I don't know what it is in our society today. I guess it's just different thinking. But when I grew up, I remember you had disappointments and you had things that went through your life. And sometimes it was very hard and you had to endure them. And what they did is they made you better for the future. But now in our society, we want to remove all the disappointments from young people, for example. We don't want them to be disappointed. And you know what happens? They grow up without the ability to handle anything. They grew up without the ability of being strong and brave. They, they're not. You know why? Because we didn't want little Junior to feel bad about himself. I'm going to tell you something. We need to be strong and brave, and I'm going to tell you why. It was a time of unrest that we're going to talk about. Literal unrest. It was a wartime. And so the words being strong and brave were very necessary in the time of battle, in the time of unrest, and in the time of war. But you and I are also in a war today too. And that's a war with the devil. We have that every day. We need to understand that. So what do we need to be? We need to be strong, brave, courageous in our life. And the spiritual battle that we fight is fought right here. Here's the sword of the spirit. Here's the weapon of choice. Here's the only weapon that will do. It's the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. Christians today need to be strong and need to be brave. Okay, so now we come to this point. There was a great war or battle between the houses of Saul and the houses of David. And in this, we find in this time of unrest. Over the house of Saul, one of Saul's sons was by the name of Ishbosheth. And Ishbosheth, the Bible says, was taken from to Maonaim, and he was anointed king over all Israel. Now you remember the character in question today is the son of Ner. He was a commander. He was a man of war, a man of battle, and his name was Abner. So Abner was the commander of Saul's army. Ishbosheth was now king over Israel, he being the son of Saul. All right. The Bible says that Israel followed Ishbosheth. But I already mentioned this, Judah followed David. Just a little point here. You know, Ishbosheth was 40 years old when he was anointed king over Israel. And the Bible says that he was king or he reigned over all of Israel for two years. On the other hand, King David was anointed king over Judah. And he was king reigning there over Judah for seven years and six months. 
So picture this. It's a time of unrest. It's a time of battle. There's, there's a war between the two sides. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that Ishbosheth and his men go to Gibeon and was there at the pool of Gibeon on the other side. Not only was David, David's men of Judah, but also Joab, the commander of David's army. I've tried to picture this. I can't imagine this. I'm not a man of war. I don't understand all the things that battle happen in battle strategically and all that. But I don't get this. I don't understand this. In this particular case, Abner calls aside or calls across the pool of Gibeon to Joab and he said, I got a great idea. Let's let the young men fight before us. You know what the King James says? Let's let these men play before us. That was hand-to-hand -hand combat. Let the young men go and fight. Now I want you to picture in your mind's eye, this is exactly what happened. Twelve young men were chosen from this side, and twelve young men were chosen from that side. And the Bible says they met there together. They paired up one against the other. Get this. They took one of their hands, put it behind the head or the neck of the other man. They grabbed their spear. So both of them were grabbing their spear. Both of them were holding the neck of the other. And they grabbed their spear and thrust it to the side of that man, and they both fell. And that started the battle. And then the war began. And the Bible says that the men of Judah, Joab's men, had great victory over Abner's men that day. I can't fathom such a thing. So, as they're there, we find some other things about that. There were um, some men that were there at the present at that time. And they were the, the sons of Zeruiah. And it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 18. So picture this. The battle is over with. David's men were superior to the others that day. It's over with. And all of a sudden, from the sons of Zer Zeruiah, there were three men. We've already met Joab, but Joab had two brothers. One was Abishai and the other was Azahel. Now... Interesting about the name Azahel and that particular character in the Bible. You don't hear a whole lot about Azahel. But Azahel was, I don't know, in today's vernacular would have been a, a great athlete. In fact, the Bible says, the King James says, he was light of foot as a wild roe. One translation says, he was as fleet of foot as a gazelle. And the Bible says this, that Azahel decides he's going to flee. He's going to chase after Abner. Now, Abner was a man of war. Abner was a military strategist. Abner was the man in charge. Abner was the one that was the commander. And all of a sudden, you have one of the sons of Joab, and he's chasing after Abner. Now, picture this. All of a sudden, this is what we know. Azahel is chasing him, and Abner knows it. And Abner turns back and said, Azahel, is that you? And Azahel said, yeah, it is me. And the Bible says that Azahel did not turn to the left. He did not turn to the right. 
He didn't deviate from his path. He didn't deviate from the course. And he chased Abner. You know what Abner said? Stop doing that. You know why? He said, how am I going to tell your brother Joab that I struck you? How am I going to do that? But he still pursued. Now, there's something interesting about this. The Bible says that he grabbed his spear. In fact, it says he grabbed the butt end of his spear. And he thrust it into the stomach of Azahel. And it went out his back. Now, this is what we don't know. I've read different theories about this. Somebody actually suggested that what he did is this. He was brilliantly allowing Azahel to pursue him. He didn't go after him. And when he got close enough, he knew it. So he grabbed his spear by the butt end here and thrust it backwards into his stomach and out his back. Another said this. Another said, as Azahel got closer, he grabbed his spear, turned toward him by the butt of, of the spear, and thrust it into his stomach and came out his back. It doesn't really matter, but it's probably the, the latter, I would imagine. I think it would be kind of hard to thrust your sword backwards like this, but it really doesn't matter. Here's what matters. Azahel is killed. He's now dead. And Joab and Abishai pursue Abner. You know, when you think about this, when you think about the, the people that were pursuing Abner, first of all, when you talk about the two groups, the two camps, the war continued for a long time, and there was unrest between them for a long time. In fact, the Bible says that the Benjamites rallied behind Abner. In fact, you remember that Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. Therefore, it was only natural that the armies of Saul, Benjamites, would join forces with that side. That's exactly what happened. Now, notice what happens next. All of a sudden, they're on two mountains, I kind of picture. I don't know, maybe it was kind of similar to David and Goliath in that story. I don't know. All I, all I know is... It says that Abner and his men are on a hill. And they look across and there's Joab and his men. And Abner said, how long are we going to keep doing this? How long are we going to keep slaying our brothers? How long are we going to keep doing this? And then he said, don't you know it's going to end bad? Now, I kind of picture it like this. Can't you just imagine Joab? Maybe Joab says something like, you started it. This whole thing is your fault. In fact, it was your idea that let the young men go fight before us. And if you hadn't suggested that, those young men would have been able to go home that night. But even still, Joab says, okay. And he blasts the trumpet and the battle ceased. Now, if you look at the battle between the house of David and the house of Saul, the Bible says it went on for a very long time. And during that period of time, the Bible says that the house of David grew stronger and the house of Saul grew weaker. Now, if you look at what Abner does, as long as there seemed to have a little hope, Abner fought. I'm going to tell you, that is very common, even today. Have you ever, have you ever noticed the very fact that hope sometimes is what motivates effort? In other words, if there's still hope, there's a lot of effort. 
It's kind of like this in football, for example. You have two teams. One is way superior to the other, way better than the other, should blow them out. But this other team that's the ultimate underdog, they're fighting like crazy because you know why? Maybe the score's tied. Maybe the score's low. Maybe it's really close. You know why? Because hope determines effort. Always has been. When that other team hangs 50 points on them, though, I guarantee you, even psychologically or in the back of their mind or even without them knowing, they back off a little bit. As long as we find that Abner felt like he had a chance, he fought. But his side got weaker and weaker, and David's side got stronger and stronger. And because of that, Abner defects to David's side. Can you imagine that? You're fighting against somebody. You've been in all these battles against somebody. But now you're losing. You're getting weaker. And you got to make a choice. So you defect to the other side. And that's exactly what happens. In fact, this is what happened. Abner goes to David and he said, make an agreement with me. And I would imagine some sort of a truce agreement. Make some kind of an agreement with me. And if you do and you let me join with you, he said, I will go and get all of Israel and they all will follow you. You know what David said? I love this. David does it, but he gives a condition. You know what he said? He said, yeah, I'll make that agreement, but you go get me Michael. Remember Michael? Michael was the beautiful daughter of King Saul. Michael was one that David loved. In fact, back in the days of a betrothal, they would do that. They would betroth people, uh, daughters, to men based on what the father had suggested. Do you know what Saul said? When Saul found out before he absolutely hated David, when he found out that David wanted Michael, Saul said, this is what you do. Bring me a hundred Philistine foreskins and you can have them. Remember what happened though? Michael, at the time when Saul hated David, took David's side and showed love to David and it made Saul so mad, he took Michael away and gave her to another man. Do you know what David said? Yeah, I'll make the agreement. Get my wife back. Go give me my wife back. And the Bible says that Abner goes to the elders of Israel. He goes to the Benjamites in person. And he tells them this, for a long time you've wanted to make David your king. And he said, now do it. That's what you wanted, now do it. And David prepared a great feast and he sent Abner away in peace. And then all of a sudden we find Joab shows up. And you know the Bible describes it as a time of raid or great plunder. Joab comes back. Raid has happened. It's in the past. They've got all this plunder. And all of a sudden, Joab finds out that David let Abner go in peace. You know what David says? Or you know what Joab says? Joab says, are you kidding? Why'd you let him go? He didn't really mean that he wanted to join with you. All he wanted to do is know all of your actions, all of your movements. He wants to use all of that stuff against you. And all of a sudden, Joab is furious. Notice what happens, and that brings us to the next thing, and that's Joab's revenge. And you know, I'm going to tell you, I don't know anything in the world good that could ever happen when you have a heart that is filled with revenge. Now, there are things in life that happen that really are the ramifications of things that happen. I get that. 
But there's a difference between being someone and allowing someone to have to suffer the ramifications of a choice that they had made that was wrong. That's one thing. Or when one person is wronged for something and allowing the other person to have to go through the ramifications of that. It's not what I'm talking about. There's a big difference between that and somebody having a vengeful heart of revenge. But remember this. Joab had not forgotten that Abner had killed his brother. And you know, all the revenge in the world is not going to bring him back. You know, the Bible says that Joab sends out messengers. And, and get this, though. David has no idea this is happening. And Joab sends out messengers and says, go get him. Now, Abner thinks everything's fine. Abner was let go in peace by the king, the king himself. Joab sent messengers out, go get him and bring him back. Now, picture this in your mind's eye. Here is a man that comes back, and he's approaching Hebron. He's approaching the gates of Hebron. And you know what happens? We know that Joab is waiting in the wings, as it were. Joab was waiting. And the Bible says that he gathers him in like he's going to tell him something privately. Like, come here, i got to tell you something. And when Abner gets close, the Bible says that Joab took his sword. And he killed him in the gateway of Hebron. And he took his life. The Bible says, though, that he died as a fool. We began our lesson with the story, with the passage at his funeral. When the king said, he died as a fool dies. Why did he die as a fool dies? Why was he a fool? What was the matter with it? Well, number one, he was caught off guard. He was not watching. He didn't know. Number two, he was unprepared. And number three, he was caught just outside the gates. Watch this. And the king sang a lament over Abner and said, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound. Your feet were not put in fetters. As a man falls before wicked men, so you fell. Then all the people wept over him again. Notice where he fell. He fell in the gateway of Hebron. Hebron was one of the six cities of refuge. What does that mean? That means if Abner could have gotten inside, oh, so close. If he could have gotten inside, no problem at all. They couldn't have taken his life. But he died as a fool because he died unprepared. He died as a man that was not watching. He was caught off guard. And he died a man that died as a fool right outside the city of refuge. What can we learn? What can we learn from all that? What does this symbolize? I think this is very common. I think this is very symbolic. And that is this. The death of a sinner who's almost persuaded. Can I share something with you? If I'm not a Christian, and it comes time when the great... Lord comes back when the Lord comes back in the, in the judgment day. And if I'm not a Christian and I'm not saved, there's only one thing I'm going to want. That's one more day to be persuaded. Sometimes people do this, though. They put it off. Sometimes they just want to hear more. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. 
because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance to this and to all by raising him from the dead. Notice what happened. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Okay, that's some people. But others said, we will hear you again on this matter. In 1973, I would have been uh, seven. But I remember it like it was yesterday. And a preacher outside of the church building on a Sunday morning after services went up to my father. And he said to my father, he said, you ready to be baptized? And my father said, oh, not, not yet. Not yet. I think I need to study a little more about it. I'll never forget what happened. The preacher wasn't having any of it. And the preacher said, oh, you know enough what's really holding you back. You know enough. Do you know that Jesus died for your sins? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Are you lost in your current condition? Yes. Do you want to be saved? Yes. Are you willing to change your life? Absolutely. Do you want to go to heaven? Yeah. You know enough. You know enough. But sometimes people say, we will hear you again of this matter. You know what happened that day? My dad said, okay. And my mother joined him, and they went right back in that church building. They filled the baptistry, and they were both baptized for the remission of their sins that day and never looked back. And by the way, here I am. Amazing how your choices can affect the choices of people that follow you for the rest of their life. Sometimes people want to just hear more. What else? What else? This also symbolizes some people who are never fully convinced. And I get that. I understand that. I understand that sometimes people aren't convinced. But you know, when you think about the story of King Agrippa, Agrippa was a man also that was not fully convinced. In Acts chapter 26, verse 27 and 28, Paul said this, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Almost. Almost. You know, we have no evidence at all that there was another opportunity for that man. We don't hear a thing about him again in that regard. He said, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Other people, too, procrastinate. And unfortunately, they are killed outside of the eternal city of refuge, and that is heaven. And let me tell you why. Do you know why people procrastinate and think they have more time? I'm going to tell you why. It's because of the deceitfulness of Satan. They're deceived by the devil. That's a fact. I'll give you an example. We find this also. Some procrastinate like Felix. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. And when I have a convenient season, I will call for you. In fact, this is what the New King James says. Felix was afraid. The King James said he literally trembled. But he said, Ah, go away. 
Go away for now. And when I have a more convenient season, I'll call for you. You know why? The deceitfulness of Satan. I didn't say that. The Bible does. So the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. Years and years ago, maybe about 10, 15 years ago, I had a sermon and I had an illustration in it. It was a sermon on excuses. And when I was writing this sermon, I went back and I found that illustration. I'm going I'm to put it here. I think it fits. I think it's a perfect picture of what the devil does to us. It was a story about a man. He's a preacher. And he sat down and he was writing a sermon one night. And he was very tired. And as he was writing his sermon, he, he fell asleep right there at his desk. And when he slept, he dreamt. And he had a dream that there was a demon's council. And he said, the idea was, let's find out how we can get more people to go to hell. So one of the demons said, I got it. Send me to the world and I'll tell everybody there is no God. The second one said, no, send me. And I'll go and I'll say the Bible is not true. The third one said, no, you send me. And I'll tell everybody that Jesus Christ is not the son of God. And, he was, and he's not who he claimed to be. Still another said, no, send me. And I'll tell them that you don't have to be baptized in order to be saved. But the last one that spoke was the wise old devil himself. And this is what he said. Okay? This is what he said. He said, send me. And I'll tell everybody there is a God. I'll tell them that the Bible's true. I'll tell them that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and died for the sins of the world. That he was everything he claimed to be. I'll tell them you have to be baptized for the remission of your sins. I'll just tell them not now. Not today. I'll just tell them you got plenty of time. If the devil can get you to say, I got plenty of time, you're on dangerous ground. Some procrastinate. Now, Abner, he died while just being a few steps from safety in the city of refuge. And very sadly, many good intentioned people are dying just short of full obedience to the gospel of Christ. Good intentions will almost save, perhaps, but they will not save. So the question is today for you is this. If your life was taken today, would they say that he died as a fool? Would you die off guard, unprepared and outside the heavenly city of refuge? Sobering words, sobering thoughts. To almost make it, but not. Do you remember when Jesus gave the parable of the, the, the ten virgins? And we talk about five and five, foolish and wise. Did you ever notice where the wise, where the foolish ones were? It looks like they were awful close. They were just outside. Almost. Almost persuaded. Almost. But lost. I closed this morning with a poem that was sent to me. And I got to tell you, this is one of the people, one of the men that's watching the TV program every week. And he is in prison. And he sent this to me. Hand wrote it out and sent it to me. I'm going to use it now in closing today. 
It's entitled, If Christ Should Come Today. Is my own house set in order if Christ should come today? What tasks would be unfinished if I were called away? Suppose an angel told me at early morning light, Your Lord will come this evening. You will go home tonight. Would ecstasy be clouded by thoughts of things undone? The seed I might have scattered, the crowns I might have won. The soul I, might have, I meant to speak to, the purse I meant to share, and all the wasted moments I meant to spend in prayer. The weight of unsaved millions would press upon my heart. Can I be certain that I had not a part? And just a few short moments in which to set things right. How fervently I'd labor until the waning light. O slothful soul, O careless, O eyes which have no sight. In vain may be your reaping, should Christ return tonight. Sobering things. Good news, though. Good news. You can look happily and with joy to the second coming of Jesus Christ, too. You have to be a Christian. The steps to become a child of God are so simple. The Bible says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17. Upon hearing the word of God, you have a choice. And Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. That word belief literally means having the force to obey. I'm going to obey what the Lord said. What the Lord said, I've got to obey the gospel. I've got to be baptized for the mission of my sins. Jesus further said in Luke 13 and 3, I tell you no, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. All that means is I've got to change my life. I'm willing to do that. Jesus further said in Matthew 10, 32, if you'll confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father which is in heaven. And that confession simply is, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Upon taking those steps, you're a fit candidate to go down into the waters of baptism, to contact the blood of Jesus and have your sins washed away. 1 Peter 3, 21 says, the like figure, wherein even baptism doth also now save us. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.